When it comes to your hormones, thyroid, and weight loss resistance, a lot of things get left out of the conversation that need to be talked about. We talk about things in such a calories in, calories out kind of way. Today, I wanted to sit down with a quantum biologist to expand on these topics. So please stay tuned for this conversation. Welcome back. My name is Sarah. I am broadcasting this on the Sarah Kleiner Wellness YouTube channel, as well as the Evolving Wellness Podcast. So wherever you are listening, thank you so much for listening. If you're on the podcast, make sure to leave me up to a five-star review to help get the episode out to more people. If you're on YouTube, leave us a comment, hit that like button, and again, share this out with anyone who needs to hear this conversation. I am talking with Dr. Sarah Pugh. She is a quantum biologist and has a lot of experience when it comes to hormones, thyroid, and weight loss, especially for people over the age of 40. Now, a lot of this stuff is absolutely going to work for people under the age of 40 as well, but we find people over the age of 40 definitely have a more challenging time when it comes to thyroid hormones and weight loss resistance. So we're going to talk about some different ideas that maybe you haven't heard about before that hopefully can help you get the needle moving. Now, if you want access to Sarah, I'm going to put her, Dr. Sarah, my name is Sarah too. I'm going to put her website as well as her Instagram channel in the show notes for you. So you can look at some of her programs so you can follow her over on social media. I'm also going to put in the show notes, the links to my programs that I talk about here on this show. And you can use the code podcast to save 10% off on any of those programs at any of time. If you get the 21 day leptin reset, it now comes with the weight loss webinar, stubborn weight loss loss webinar at no charge. So that comes with the program and it covers a lot of the stuff that we talk about in this conversation as well. So without further ado, let's jump into today's discussion. And I really do hope you enjoy it. Good morning, everyone. Happy Thursday. Dr. Sarah Pugh and I are going to talk this morning about hormones, about thyroid. I'm going to wait for her to ask to join. I see some people jumping on. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. And yeah, this is just a topic that Dr. Sarah and I keep getting, you know, people asking us questions about. So I thought it'd be fun to bring her on. Dr. Sarah should be on in just a moment, except there she is. Hello. Good morning. Yes, I'm good. How are you? Good. Yeah, I thought it would be fun for us to do. Well, you actually said on Sunday, does anyone want to do a live? And I was like, huh, it could be fun to do a chat about hormones and thyroid with Dr. Sarah, because it's something that you and I kind of get. Oh, yeah, definitely, because it all started off with um, just this random conversation we had about freezing fat cells, because on the one hand, cold therapy um, is the one of the few things like liposuction that can get rid of fat cells because they can be inflammatory. But if you overfreeze them more, they can come back with a vengeance. And we were there for like half an hour discussing this. So I think it then we decided we would just make our discussions more public because I'm sure a lot of other people... um, 
have the same questions we do and definitely thyroid and um estrogen and um deuterium and all of that comes up a lot and i think what we were going to say is some people get really confused about this idea of how e equals mc squared relates to weight loss and leptin resistance and it's very easy to be too biochemical about everything. And I think we know we'll obviously answer the biochemistry and food questions, but then the quantum physics side is actually not as complicated as people think. Yeah, so the E equals MC squared is kind of looking at the old model, like calories in, calories out, eat less, move more, like the, just the, the, the common mm. way of looking at this thing, right? Yeah, definitely, because I think what happens is like we can easily kind of default back to um, our old way of thinking um, and yes obviously if we ate too much we would gain so there's not like it doesn't not exist but I think where people and I've sort of forgotten about how uh, and I forget sometimes about this idea of how destructive deuterium can be and, and it's not this thing that we need to be afraid of we just have to be more mindful of it and um, I think maybe to just explain to people really briefly about why deuterium can make us get bigger because it, all the deuterium is is a very heavy hydrogen that's double the size and with that equation we were talking about our bodies try to get bigger by mass to make up for the loss of energy and that's like very very simplified but a lot of the time that's what people want to hear and then people will then say okay that means i need lots and lots of um, hydrogens the light ones it's like no because you need to make sure you've got always got more electrons than hydrogens so i think this comes back into this little simple idea of why is gathering electrons so important how do electrons escape and why does this deuterium that jack cruz always talks about in different sort of ways like jacquard cards relate into leptin resistance Yeah, I think a lot of people are, like you just did a simple explanation of deuterium, but I think a lot of people are confused about it. Um, and deuterium is not all bad, right? Like, so me as somebody who is breastfeeding and was pregnant, I would not be wanting to do a lot of deuterium depletion from my body. Like babies need deuterium, like we need it for growth. The problem is that as we become adults, uh, we're loading our bodies with deuterium and we're losing electrons, right? And that is why people are gaining weight rapidly. People are having uh, this issue with like a slow metabolism. And again, it's being oversimplified. So I wanted to bring this to, like like we said, the quantum level of, you know, how do we Hmm. Address yeah, issue, and just so people right? know, we are going to go back to the thyroid questions and the um, other questions people sent. But I think the very first question someone asked was, does um, doing cold therapy in the summer confuse the mitochondria? And that's a really good question because the cold therapy is back to this idea of making us behave like a semiconductor. And when the colder the machine is, the faster it goes. And when people are cold adapted, and it can take over a year to get cold adapted, this is where another thing me and you talk about a lot that people are too impatient with resetting their bodies and when somebody's very cold adapted um sorry there's an airplane um what can what, when people are cold adapted their bodies just dissipate extra energy as heat so that's an example of when calories in versus calories out doesn't add up and the amount of say 
um, electrons that people or food they could eat when they're very cold adapted and doing, say, a couple of hours of cold therapy a day is not going to obey the laws of thermodynamics. Um, and back to the person's question, does doing cold therapy in the summer confuse the mitochondria? Absolutely not, because our ancestors would have swum in lakes, the ocean. Um, and also it's this thing I often say to people, as above and so below, as within and so without, that we can get melanin from the sun on the outside, but then we can make our own melanin by creating UV light on the inside. And the cold therapy is the route into making light on the inside. So that would tie in with, you know, having this balance of energy coming from the outside and thus creating it on the inside. So, so that's where, um, to the answer to that question about the cold therapy, no, and you can do it whenever you want. And I think something you and I were discussing of whether people can do too much of it. And that was the answer that we can probably like discuss amongst ourselves. So I think for some people, cold therapy is excellent for weight loss, especially if they can't exercise. And for other people, I think who are trying to get pregnant, I mean, that's more your area or, or who've had an eating disorder and are recovering from something like anorexia, it wouldn't be a good idea. So maybe you want to give your take on the cold therapy and the mitochondria in the summer. Yeah, I mean, and I apologize, my neighbors. As soon as I hit go live, they went to town with a hammer and a chainsaw. So welcome to my world. Uh, <laughs> sorry for the background noise. But yeah, I think that you have to be very strategic with cold mm. therapy. That's why I have a whole cold therapy course, walk people through it. Because it's not just, you know, if you follow some of the influencers on social media, they'll have these like, 30 days of cold therapy in a row and like longer and colder and get your body in this like sympathetic state with all this breathing to do it. You can do cold therapy in a way that respects your hormones. And I was able to actually do it to increase my fertility and get pregnant because of what cold does to the mitochondria. So when you have a fertility issue, there is an issue with the mitochondria. I mean, any kind of a health challenge, most of them is going to come down to the mitochondria and your mitochondria become more inefficient as you get older. And some of people, some people are just born with less efficient mitochondria, right? We, and, and mitochondrial issues are rampant, especially because we do so many things that make us, make our bodies lose energy, right? This leaking of, of electrons, like our Wi-Fi, our cell phones, our indoor life, our lack of sunlight, our lack of grounding, all of those things are constantly, uh, you know, slowing down the, the energy that flows through electrons, the, electro the, the mitochondria. So what cold therapy does on a simple level is it actually shrinks the space between, so there's five respiratory proteins in the mitochondria. It shrinks the space between them and it actually allows electrons to tunnel faster, right? So what this on a very, and I'm putting this as very simple as I can, it can actually help us to reverse age ourselves. And so my issue with fertility was that I did not have great mitochondrial health. And so I had to do cold therapy in a way to be respectful of my hormones. So more cold therapy during follicular phase, less cold therapy during the luteal phase, short bursts of cold therapy. So some people do cold therapy and they say stay in for 10 or 20 minutes. If you're trying to optimize your hormones, then you're going to do short bursts of cold therapy, two to five minutes, right? 
I don't even do more than, I never do more than five minutes even now breastfeeding. Um, and then again, you're not going to do it every day. So I think people get it twisted with the cold therapy and they try to, you know, I don't know if it's Americans or just people in general, but we just try to make everything into like a 30 day challenge. And you can't do that if you're trying, and even men shouldn't do a 30 day cold therapy challenge, especially if they're doing, um, any sort of strength training, you have to allow your bot, those muscle fibers to heal without using the cold that can actually slow down the healing of your muscle fibers and create issues. And Rob Jacobs and I have a, an exercise course that we've created where we have a cold therapy protocol just for strength training, just for people who are athletes, because it, it there's just so much context missing with cold therapy. And I think that um, when we're talking about hormones and thyroid, we have to be cautious and there's people are like never do it and they do all these scare tactics and cold therapy is going to wreck your hormones it's going to ruin your thyroid and i've actually seen in practice and with myself the opposite that when you do it the right way with nuance and that might mean for some people that they don't do immersion right for a long time they just do the face plunge or their hands or their feet right um that they actually see improvement with hormones and improvement with thyroid, improvement with fertility. Carrie and I've had, I just got another email last night from another woman who did our fertility course just this April and is now pregnant in her early forties and had been trying for years. And we're having the women in our fertility course gently do cold therapy, very strategically. So it's a, it's an amazing underutilized thing, but we, are so extreme with how we do it. Like we do the same thing with keto, you know, keto can be great, but if you do it 365 days a year, all the time, you're always fasting, you're going to mess up your hormones and thyroid. Oh right? yeah, definitely. Cause I think it's like everything. Um, when you do a micro dose versus a mega dose of anything, whether it's a, uh, a supplement or cold therapy that the cold face plunges are much more oxytocin um, release driven and that's massive in bonding uh, fertility uh, and like you said if you want to do a marathon sort of two hour or one hour cold therapy that's a very specific um, approach to it and it might be uh, appropriate for somebody who wants to um, heal something or lose body fat but exactly as you said people forget that it inhibits inflammation in a way that the muscles may not heal but on the other hand when you mentioned hormones cold therapy can boost IGF and um, testosterone as well done moderately and on the opposite side of the coin of that alcohol knocks those two down and I think uh, again when we we talk about people have asked me questions and you questions oh I'm doing the leptin reset or whatever and things are not working and when, when we dig in we find that people are still drinking alcohol they're still eating after dark so like, like you like we you know I'll change subjects now I think you know so I can get through all the questions I think this is something else that when it comes into hormones um, there's always a seesaw and we ha when it's the cold we've got to take into account our haplogroup as well or haplotype because I'm the viking kind so so of course, it's a really good way for me to uh, manage myself. But somebody who might be an L, I think Corey's an L, isn't he? He's equatorial. It wouldn't. It's not 
productive for him. His body's going to respond to it, but he's going to get maybe some of a cortisol issue as well. So I think it's like you said, it's all about measuring things. And if it's not working, it's not that um, you're doing it wrong. It might not be appropriate. And I think it just comes back to some of the other um, questions that we got. One person was asking me about glandular hormones. And I think this is an excellent question because for some people it's really helpful. But I said to her, you run the risk of it not being the same species as us. Uh, and some people react massively to horse estrogens or bovine testosterone, whereas other people are fine. Same as some people react massively to cayenne pepper or um, or coffee and other people don't. So again, you have to, when you're doing these things, uh, bear, bear your own body in mind. And then another thing I just noticed, I read the question earlier about hot flashes. And I think I read it right to say that somebody measured their estrogen and their progesterone and probably something else on day three and their thyroid hormones. But the problem there is none of us ever measure our hormones at night. And um, as we know, the thyroid production starts in the morning. So you might be completely fine during the day, but you might have a thyroid drop off in the night. And one of the ways people get a bit hot in bed, like I used to, is if your thyroid peters out at night, the adrenaline takes over so it wakes you up and makes you a bit hot but also the other thing is estrogen for certain is important for um, a sort of like a thermostat so, so it's one of these things it regulates our perception of heat as well so I would say to that person um, I'd have to look at the labs I don't mind if they just send it to me because it's one of those things I'm very into this idea our hormones are different in the summer and winter and they're different at different times of the day and we're only taking snapshots of these labs and you can get a wildly different reading of your thyroid if you've just done HIT or if you, you know, I might measure my thyroid in the middle of the night and I will guarantee it will be totally different to 11 o'clock in the morning. So I think it's again, um, back to that question, it's a really good one, but I think you've probably found the same, that labs can sometimes be deceptive and we have to work on symptoms as well. And some people just forget how important having a cool bedroom is it might be that it was the right temperature when you got in it but we change temperature at night uh, and it might be you'd, that person might need a, a chilling pad underneath or they might need i'm very into having air blowing around in my room just because of this idea of stagnant air and lack of flow so i think this business about the hot flushes or flashes if they occur at a particular time of day always at night i, I would look at, at what i've just said the bedroom um, hormones being different in the daytime and the nighttime. If it's hot flashes throughout the menstrual cycle or throughout the day, that would be something else, but it, would, it is an estrogen based problem. Then the next question I remember was somebody asked, and you can answer this one because I know it's your thing uh, can you uh, fix estrogen dominance with quantum? I mean, I, I think that I've seen a lot of people do it, honestly, um, because once they start getting morning light, once they start getting UVA on a very consistent basis, once they start blocking artificial light at night and they fix this cortisol melatonin issue that they have, they can actually fix estrogen dominance. Um, but not everyone. I mean, I think once we get over a certain yeah. age, and I'd love to get your input on this as well, you know, under 45... I've seen a lot of women do my leptin reset, do the circadian things, 
get their cycles back on track and they even sync up with the moon, get rid of a lot of hormonal issues, painful periods, uncomfortable cycles. I've seen mm. tons of that and women getting pregnant. A lot of women just doing my left and reset getting pregnant that couldn't get pregnant before. Um, but if you are over 45, and then again, women over 45, I've seen them get rid of hot flashes, uh, get rid of a lot of hormone issues. But every now and then, and this is what I tell people, I want you doing the foundations. I want you doing these basics for at least 60 to 90 days before you work with a practitioner to see if adding in a little bit of hormone might help you. Um, Cause even then I've had women that have tried to add the hormones in and start having all types of side effects. Um, so it's, I don't have. Oh no, I think also uh, the other thing about estrogen dominance is um, it can also be um, not enough progesterone and, and the way hormones are made, it's pregnenolone, then progesterone and, and every hormone's made from yes. progesterone. So if we think about it, where does the progesterone come from? Oh, sorry, the pregnenolone, it will be the mitochondria. And also if someone's stressed or their cortisol is out of whack, all that progesterone is going to go straight into making cortisol because basically we die without it. So it can be looked at. Sometimes people think, oh, I'm estrogen dominant because I've got too much estrogen, when it might be they've not got enough progesterone. Uh, so we would look at it in a cortisol, melatonin and um, pregnenolone uh, and mitochondrial perspective as well. I, I just want to um, say something. Somebody made a really good comment in there and I forgot to say it. Having plants in your bedroom can help a lot with sleep and also they help you release um, a natural, uh, what's it called? NK, it's boost NK killer cells. And if you don't want plants in your bedroom, just an aromatherapy oil like pine or something makes your nerve, makes your immune system do that as well. So I just was acknowledging the good question. Um, so yes, uh, so back to the, um, the, the the hormone imbalances. Yeah, exactly. It, it, I, I'm the same as you. That, that's why I opened this talking about deuterium and electrons, because it's really easy to go down a great big conversation about labs and um, bioidenticals. Whereas um, I'm being guilty of this, of just really not appreciating how powerful grounding is, because um, everything in life steals my electrons, whether it's you know, my phone or um, whatever, or e even certain foods can do or alcohol or whatever, or people can, you know, take electrons. Some people have got more than others. And if you touch them, they take yours. So I think, you know, you can never do enough grounding. And then I think I brought up the deuterium idea again, because it's really easy to forget about the deuterium and slip back into eating high deuterium foods, um, neglect it. some people i appreciate can't exercise and sweat because of pain but anybody can go in a sauna and there are very affordable sort of sauna blankets and stuff now so not to dismiss um naturally getting rid of deuterium and even in places like the us where you do have worse water than we do you've got more deuterium because you're closer to the equator that even if somebody invested in a case of deuterium depleted water they don't need to necessarily blow it all in you know they could make it last and it might be the needle mover for them because if somebody is deuterium ridden it does actually increase or contribute to leptin resistance as well so i think it's back to again something we're going to talk about is and you touched on it again about people being impatient that they need to give all of these things time yeah i just did um a webinar so if you've purchased my 21 day left and reset i just gave it to everybody who's purchased it everybody in the so it should be in your dashboard um if you've bought that because i mm. talked about 
deuterium. We've got a deuterium depleting um, course as well. That they get. And, and I think, yeah, I have a deuterium course. Yeah. So just to teach you how exactly. to do it, because you do want to do it with context. Um, no. You don't want to just drink it straight and do it for long periods of time because you can mess up your gut microbiome. Um, you do have to be cautious with it. And I've, I, Dr. Laszlo Boros has been on my podcast. We've done a couple episodes and I email him questions. He always gets right back to me. He's amazing, really kind man who really wants to help people. And he actually sends me studies that they're doing. It's very interesting stuff. But, um, you know, that was one of the things in my weight loss webinar that I said, hey, if you, and, and this is the one thing I want to really accentuate, you have to do the foundations if you want the deuterium depleted water to be effective i don't want people to just think that getting deuterium depleted water is going to be something that's going to fix things if you're not doing the foundational things if your circadian health sucks if you're not blocking artificial light at night you know if you don't have a diet that is deuterium depleting in some ways right it's going to be a lot harder for that water it's going to just be money that you're spending it's not going to work and i've had this you know when i was going through my fertility journey and doing all the things i had been doing all the quantum things for a solid 90 days i was going out in the woods without my phone um and grounding shoes and hiking for hours at a time you know no non-native emf just getting off grid uh eating a very deuterium depleting diet like doing all that stuff and then i decided after talking with jack um, that I was going to do, Jack Cruz, I was going to do a 90-day deuterium depletion water protocol. Um, and it worked tremendously for me, but I had the foundation at the same time. And I have a private membership group, and some of these ladies have been with me for years now. I had some of the ladies in the group that also were like, oh, Sarah's doing this deuterium depletion. I want to try it. They, they didn't have the foundation. They didn't have good circadian rhythms one of them god bless her she's an i she works in it so she's in a very high non-native emf environment all day surrounded by blue light you know couldn't lose weight like she was my toughest client she could not lose weight no matter how much she fasted no matter how restrictive she was just couldn't do it um and so she's like well i'm going to try the water and i i kind of said hey i really think you're going to have to get out of this really high non-native emf environment for this to be effective for you and sure as heck she did not see anything with that deuterium depleted water but i had other ladies that were doing all the foundational things that saw great results i mean within 21 days energy through the roof losing weight feeling great better sleep better hormones all of that stuff so there's so much context, like with the cold therapy, there's context with deuterium depletion, there's context with all of these things, with keto even. Um, they all get a really bad rap. There's even context with red light therapy. They get a bad rap and people make all these like, oh, don't do this and the scare tactic videos, which I think is so silly um, because they can have great therapeutic implications for people, but you kind of got to know what you're doing and you have to have a good foundation if you are looking to optimize your hormones. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm just racing for my aeroplanes. So, um... <laughs>
Yes, I think it's like uh, back to the deuterium yeah, again for the people who've just joined. That the other way we can ha um, deuterium deplete is if we've got good mitochondria, because the mitochondria, what comes out of the exhaust of the mitochondria is carbon dioxide, which is important, and deuterium depleted water. And then when it comes to eating fat and carbs and protein say fat does about 100 equivalents of water comes out of the mitochondria's exhaust um, protein does about 70 and carbohydrates do about 50 so, so you can make your own deuterium depleted water because i always try and um, include things for people that live in the city who like your clients that's got a terrible environment because not all of us can live in costa rica or you know whatever so i always try and find ways because somebody might not even be able to afford uh, deuterium depleted water because it is expensive just to remind people that you can you make your own as well and then uh, just just to finish off with the mitochondria and their exhaust they can heat the water using infrared so they structure it for you so again I've got people that can't afford even a, like a $250 bond charge um, uh, light yet they really focus on making um, them very strict of what they can be strict with so they make their own infrared and they use the sun a lot so if for people who are on a budget we talk about like expensive things and cheap things as well just to make sure everyone's included um but yeah you're right because I, I as you can see there are airplanes here because i'm two miles from the airport although it's not a very problematic area because the phone signals are crap which is good but that just means on the subject of phones if you've got a crap signal that's when your phone is the most dangerous uh, emf wise because it's trying to look so that's why you know i i have my phone away from me as much as possible so there's not as much sort of radiation in the air but if I went and touched my phone now it's particularly um, sort of uh, vicious but it doesn't mean I'm not going to use it I think again back to simple stuff that the distance is your friend and people just need to sometimes put their phone more often on airplane mode and just simple stuff like that it can be a real needle mover like the example of your blue light client with the surrounded by EMFs um, and just it's always the things we don't want to do really that um, can can move the needle. And I think something else, uh, one of the other questions we can move in now to Hashimoto's because somebody asked, can you cure Hashimoto's? And absolutely. But that would I would say that's one of the examples of there's lots of ways to skin a cat because didn't Catherine, Dr. Catherine Clinton have about seven autoimmune diseases and one of them was Hashimoto's. So, so definitely it can be uh, cured. I've seen people on keto, carnivore, rectify it. People have done it with quantum biology. So I think we, I'll transfer that back over to you to answer that Hashimoto's question. of Because um, Hashimoto's is a very new thing as well that 20 years ago it was unheard of. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I get people with Hashimoto's in, in my messages or via email, in my private group, I have tons of ladies with Hashimoto's and doing the foundational work is very, very helpful for Hashimoto's, right? I've had, it go, I think mm. number one should be your circadian rhythms and working with your leptin because leptin really does signal the immune system and Hashimoto's is an autoimmune issue. And so I did a post on this yesterday, didn't really get a lot of user excitement just talking about just even mm. the circadian aspect of the immune system and how uh, circadian rhythms being intact actually impacts your immune system health and certain things wiring and firing at the proper times I mean it's going to affect every aspect of our health so this uh, you know circadian biology or chronobiology 
is very, very foundational, I think, for, for Hashimoto's. Now, you can do a diet like autoimmune paleo. You can do carnivore. You can do keto. I think you have to do that with some nuance. Um, but those, you know, diets can be very, very helpful at bringing down inflammation from Hashimoto's, right? But I, and I used to be like food first, food first, all food. Now I'm like light first, you know, environment first. Are you uh, watching TV at night with your neck exposed? You know, whenever, if I'm going to watch TV at night, which is rare for me, um, I'm going to wear blue blockers and I'm going to put a blanket over my thyroid, right? So is your thyroid, even now I'm kind of trying to do this because I've got my phone yeah, shining yeah. at me, even though the screen is red. Uh, you know, there's just, there's, I like to have the foundation of light first and then, it actually makes the food stuff easier because you're getting a lot of neurotransmitter support in that UVA morning morning window. Um, and then you're getting more melatonin production at night, which is also going to help with the Hashimoto's. But yeah, I think the light has to be foundational and then we can start looking at diet. But I've had a lot of women go through my 21-day course and see um, antibodies go way down. I think I have a testimonial right now of a lady mm. who went from like 1,000 down to 215 um just in the 21 days which is pretty remarkable so i think these things can be used to address uh things like yeah because the other thing is about leaky guts because some but the problem is with leaky gut is we're supposed to have a little bit of leaky gut so the guts can talk to the immune system but that's another way um that is really important and i think people neglect light um on the on the gut area because i've been doing a lot more um sort of naked sunbathing and, and what i'm wearing now underneath this is a i think it's called a a kaniki it's a, a and the light can go through so i can walk around and be naked and it looks like i've got clothes on and i think the light on the microbiome or even a red light can be massively helpful and healing because some people drive themselves crazy and just eat less and less and less food and then they get obsessed with histamines and it's actually it's not the um you know uh um eating less becoming more and more restricted with the food you need to solve the fundamental reason of what's driving the problem but also to like we try not to ever vilify anything that leaky gut isn't a disease it's meant to be there it's just when the gaps get too big that's when it becomes problematic um but there are other things like fasting can um, close it up because ampk that's um that's an end that's the thing that gets triggered when when we fast and then things like berberine and cbd and stuff can help to close it up and there are other things like glutamine and colostrum and stuff like that but like you say if you haven't fixed the environment or because the, the emfs can again open up the leaky gut and the light no matter what you put in you haven't fixed the outside part so i'm very much into you know the naked sunbathing thing and for my some of my clients that live in a flat they just open their window and lie on their beds and do it because obviously they can't really go outside it's not really safe in some areas to do that or appropriate and they've said that they've noticed uh, quite a big change for something that's simple so, so like we were saying it's not necessarily just about the food although we do agree that vodka and and croissants and bread is like the best way to give yourself leaky gut so unfortunately i was actually talking to a client just now about stuff that people really love and if someone has got leaky gut and they really love alcohol it's got to go because that's how you make a leaky gut model animal in a lab you give whatever animal you're working with um vodka and that's a standard way to make a leaky gut model so it's again there are some foods that really have to go and i think some people find nuts and lectins and beans can be a bit problematic as well but then the whole point is when people are healed they can actually eat these things again 
including the vodka. So I've had people who have had terrible gut issues and they absolutely love vodka. But all they've done is they've been so ridiculously strict with everything else just to be able to have that thing they really love, whether it's the vodka and the croissants and whatever else it was. Yeah, that was my experience that I had, you know, going into carnivore. That's why I did the carnivore diet, because I was looked like I was pregnant constantly. I had eczema. I had I my doctor said you have IBS. You know, yeah. I had all these issues with my gut and my skin and I felt terrible. And so I did carnivore for two years solid. Then when I started trying to reintroduce foods, I was having issues. And that was the same time that I met Dr. Cruz and started implementing all the quantum biology and circadian biology practices. And fast forward to just a few months of implementing those things and staying on a more anti-inflammatory diet, I found that I could really just eat chocolate. I could eat nuts if I wanted them. I could eat cheese. I could have raw milk. I could have all these things that used to give me horrible histamine reactions, skin reactions, gut reactions, because I was able to heal this. And I was doing mm. uh, sunbathing with my belly exposed and doing root therapy on my abdomen. I was, do, you know, I was do, grounding constantly. Like I said, going out in the forest and um, hiking with no, with my cell phone on airplane mode yeah. in a Faraday bag. So I still had it if I need it for emergency, but I'm not exposing my body to that non-native EMF. Um, so all of those things, for me, I was able to reintroduce and add foods and then not gain a ton of weight. That was the other thing. But I think everyone's so focused on the weight loss. It took me a while before my body was like, oh, I'm going to let go of this weight. I had done carnivore for two years and never lost any weight doing carnivore. I lost some initial inflammation right away. But then I literally just couldn't lose the weight and I was super frustrated. And then I implemented all these quantum things and kind of did my uh my 21 day leptin reset i formulated this plan for myself and then 30 pounds just fell off but it took some time for my body to act you know to to bring these things in to gather the light to harvest that light in the cells all of that so i think people get super frustrated and pissed off if they don't lose weight right away but, but the body has to it has to start gathering that energy again right it has to start being more electron rich then when it feels like it has enough energy. But also you, um, you have you to remember our bodies um, think fat is like gold, like it keeps us alive. It's got stem cells in it. Um, yeah. It stops our bum bones hurting if we sit down. So we don't like it, but our body thinks it's like so important. So it, it's basically not going to part with it readily because it can't understand, well, why do you hate me so much? So you have to basically trick it. It's like playing chess with your body. Because like I was telling you about this, the undulating thyroid way of eating I do, because we some people um, are really a, a adverse to calorie counting or restriction. And like I said, right at the beginning, it's still useful. It, it's it's not a free-for-all and you know it's like and right. what, what I when I explain to people how that works is that you say I'd start off on 2,000 calories do that for a week then I drop to 1,600 and then do that for a week but as I'm about to transition back to 2,000 I do hit 
and German volumetric training, um, even just half an hour a day. So everybody agrees, no matter who you are, doing HIIT or exercise increases your thyroid metabolism. So, so I'm then doing that like mad when I go back to the 2000, then I'll stay at 2000 for a week. So obviously the weight loss is much slower, but when I've lost whatever amount of weight I want to lose, I'm still eating 2000 calories like I was before. Whereas other people start off at 2000 and then it goes down and down and down and down and down and down. And after say three months, they're eating 1,200 and maintaining. So then you've got to basically spend about three or four months trying to mend it and go back to where you were before. And, you, and people can gain a load of weight in that window because, like I just said, the body thinks fat cells are really important and it will not like it if you try and disturb them. But on the other hand, it's about the critical mass of them because, like, some people, it's vanity pounds. They want to wear a bikini. And other people I know, they're like 300 or 400 pounds. So we're talking about it in a different context because I think when we were talking about fat cells the other day, people who are really good at splitting fat cells just make tons of them and they never get any metabolic problems they just might get some arthritis due to the load whereas other people it's a, they've got an amount of fat cells that just grow and they get super inflammatory and give people metabolic disorders mental health issues because there's a big link with insulin resistance and mental health and they and they become sort of diabetic yet they might not be over 200 pounds so with with fat cells they are a whole sort of entity and world of their own with their own minds as well and uh and like like we were saying, I mean, I'll be really interested to see the course you've got with Rob because it's all back to if people just try and do CrossFit every day, that doesn't work either. That's why I do that thyroid undulating thing. And, you know, anybody can do HIIT. I just run up and down my stairs sometimes. And when it comes to German volumetric training, you can have just a really thick band because you could do 10 sets of deadlift when you stand on it. I could tie it to this behind me and row and I only do half an hour of maybe three different exercises, but 10 sets. And that's very, you know, very calorically demanding, but also it's not like running a marathon where I was going to make a ton of cortisol. So, so that's the way that I find works for me if I'm willing to do it and I have to count, you know, calories and say for people who don't, who are really adverse to numbers, if they eat three meals a day, I would just say, okay, eat two meals for this week. And then as you transition back to three, that's when you are quite busy with your exercise. Then you go back to three for a week. Because I think some people will eat and have a cheat day and they don't realize how much there's in a cheat day. And you can basically, at our age, put yourself right back to square one with one meal. I've seen people do that. So, I'm, you know, I appreciate that some people don't want to restrict or they've had eating disorders in the past, but there's all different ways to manage how much you eat, whether you do it visually or numberly. And I think it's just so easy to overestimate how much energy there is in food. Um, and sometimes just doing some tracking does really show you what you're eating. Because some people will tell me I'm doing everything right and they are. I'll look at what they're eating and add it up and it's like 3000 calories and they're five foot two and, I'm, and they didn't even realize they don't you know we sometimes forget so that's when tracking can be useful and, and you learn very quickly uh, after maybe two weeks we tend to eat the same five or six meals so we learn very it's, it's, it's not like this prison sentence of counting calories forever and going crazy i think it's just sometimes to get a window into things Yeah, I think people are very averse to, to the tracking yeah. and counting, but sometimes it's necessary. And that's, again, with my, my left and reset program.
program, I add it in as a add-on for anybody who buys that, the weight loss webinar, because that is the I talk about in that webinar is how to do that, like how to actually track. And I'm like, you know how people say, I've been doing your um, reset program and I haven't lost weight. And I'm like, well, have you gained weight? They're like, no, my weight stayed the same. And I said, great. This is your eating at your maintenance level at this point. So if you go back and do an inventory or you just take for the next week, just eat how you normally do, track that. Then you're going to, from there, take that down by, you know, 500 calories or so, four or 500 calories. But you don't yes. want to stay yeah. in that deficit every single day. Like you said, you'll take a week in the deficit, then go back to maintenance. I have people mm -hmm. go in the deficit for five days and then come out of it for two days. But when you come out of it, you go to yeah, exactly. You don't go to cheap meal. You don't go to the bakery and eat the ice cream and the cake and the cookies because you're going to set yourself back and undo everything you did that five days. So sometimes if you are doing all the quantum things and you're gathering all the electrons, I have people lose weight. You know, I had one woman email me last week, said she had just done everything in the program, lost 17 pounds in 21 days. She had a lot of weight to lose, right? And so she, this was just falling off of her. But if you're somebody who, you know, and some of us, like myself, we, we are more like emotionally tied to the amounts yeah. of food that we eat, even if we don't need it. Like we're just emotionally tied to getting a specific amount of food every single day, whether we know it or not. So sometimes it is helpful to do an inventory and then spend a few days you know, in the deficit and go to maintenance, right? What you calculate as maintenance for the other two days and then go in and out. So you could do it your way, you could do it my way. But sometimes we have to do more than just the light magnetism and water. We do actually have to do an inventory to see where we're at. But that's not the first thing I have people do. In fact, I tell people for, you know, the 21 days of the program, I don't want you counting or tracking. I want you doing circadian work, working on magnetism, working on deuterium depleting naturally, all, doing all of that stuff first. And a lot of people see their cycles regulate. They stop having hot flashes, like thyroid gets better. Hashimoto's numbers go down, right? But then at the end of that 21 days or even 30 days, if you're not where you want to be weight-wise, that's when we can start doing a little bit of tracking and, and being a bit more strategic. Oh, yeah, definitely, because I think you just reminded me of something, that when it comes to food volume, some people are addicted to the food volume because it stretches the stomach, and that's back to what we were talking about in yep. the beginning. Oxytocin is a, a – you can do – you that will – um, counteract that nice feeling you get. So people who are really into volume, because some people it's the taste and other people, they just want to feel full. And that's when back to what we were saying at the beginning for people who've just joined about the face, the cold face plunges and the cold therapy and oxytocin release. And then obviously um, other things like hugging and um, what there's like several things, orgasms, um, all sorts of things for releasing more oxytocin. But that, that also ties into another question that somebody asked me, because she was saying she was suffering from secondary hypothyroidism and I didn't know what it meant because she said she was still really tired in the morning and uh, all weird and shaky in the day but what I replied and I thought I'll just do it properly on the webinar is there are lots of other things which regulate energy and dopamine is the master energy regulator in the brain so I've had and I showed you remember that time when I had the really shitty thyroid from doing too much keto I didn't even know I, I was still buzzing around with energy and like I was really shocked I thought how can I function 
function with that. Uh, but the, yet I've got a slow COMT gene, so I'd naturally do preserve my dopamine. So obviously, if we ta start talking about SNPs, it's going to be another big rabbit hole. But I think the point I want to make is that uh, we can get really obsessed with one hormone and blame it for everything, whereas other things in the body run energy. And if dopamine is misbehaving, you could have the best thyroid labs ever. And that's back to that lady who asked me about the question about the hot flashes saying her thyroid levels were good. I don't know anything about her dopamine. So, so you can have um, terrible thyroid results and loads of energy. So I'd say to the person who was asking me about this secondary hypothyroidism, I would say to look back into your sunlight re regime. And I know we say to get 20 minutes in the UVA, um, but sometimes if somebody really needs the dopamine, the serotonin, they might have to do two hours and then, you know, find, I, I appreciate we have families, we all have to work, but sometimes we have to make a sacrifice for our health. And it might just be that person needs to be out in that UVA all the time there's UVA. Um, and that's where I was going to say that we forget that dopamine um, is the energy controller, that if there's not enough dopamine in the brain for energy, it's going to knock on all of these other hormones as well. So, uh, and I think people with slow COMT snips they also break down noradrenaline and adrenaline quite slowly so we've got like our own backup energy system so even if we've got like low cortisol or rubbish thyroid we don't we can still do everything so that was just something i wanted to add otherwise i'd because i don't think we're going to get through all the questions because there were several so we really apologize to anybody whose question we've not got to we'll have to do another live <laughs> Because people are really concerned that when this this is going to get recorded, so people will be able to watch it again. So not to worry. Yeah, I'm going to put it on my YouTube, and I might actually have to move inside because now I can't hear I anything. I, I plugged my microphone in in the in, in the beginning, but then I can't hear you if I've got the microphone in. But then the people get a better sound. But I think it's like. Um, I can't hear anything, so maybe they can't. I think wind is the worst thing. Like, obviously, uh, like nature wind, not like our wind. But, uh, yeah, I think, um, can you, are there any other questions okay. that you particularly wanted to answer? Because I, I, I know that we were only going to do half an hour, but we've already gone way over. So um, I, I've done the first half of the questions because I could remember what, what they were. Um, oh, I know. I think um, I've seen this before in this in this feed as well and in the questions that some people are asking what we're talking about, the food and the light. Is it the same for underactive and overactive thyroids? So I'll let you answer that one. I've had to come back inside because there's like All right, five okay. men with leaf blowers in my neighbor's unit now. Completely insane. Yeah, oh, so I know. I, I just remembered one, well, but you kind um, of answered the question because this was back to the thyroid. Someone was asking about thyroid nodules, and I, I we bounced oh, yeah. a few questions back and forth ourselves. And I think you answered it about the red light on the thyroid and covering it up with, with a scarf because it's so close to the surface. And it, there's no dispute that blue light's massive in cancer, like huge in breast cancer and prostate cancer, but it will be for other cancers as well. So I would just think for any kind of unwanted wanted behavior in your body because I mean some nodules are completely benign just for good practice I'd cover it uh, and maybe you've got some other ideas about the nodules growing yeah I would do I mean I would do red light therapy I would I mean I always tell people we can do all this stuff with the quantum but you yeah. you still do want to have someone check things out for you 
I never want to just diagnose and say, just do red light and get more sunlight. Sometimes there are, there's a time and a place where you do need a practitioner to maybe do an ultrasound, you know, to actually look in and see what's going on. Um, but yeah, I think the light is, is huge with thyroid. And I think that's one of the reasons why we see so many thyroid issues. And again, when is thyroid hormone made? It's made in that morning time. And I feel like I get all these thyroid people that come to me and they're like, um, I have to, this is a common one. I was having this conversation last week. I have to take my thyroid medication an hour before I eat. So what I've been doing is taking my thyroid medication and then I do my HIIT workout and then I have some coffee hmm. and then I eat. And I'm like, and you're wondering why you have a thyroid problem. <laughs> like, take your thyroid med medication and keep it restorative. Go outside, get as much sunlight as you possibly can. Um, don't get on your phone and don't do HIIT training before you eat your breakfast. Like very simple things can make a big difference in, in thyroid because if we have too much cortisol, if our cortisol is imbalanced, that's going to stop that T4 oh, absolutely. Yes. conversion, right? That. But also don't we do most of our fat burning in bed at night? So it's kind of this idea of, yeah. I learned this a while back because I, I used to think, oh, I'm exercising, I'm, ki I'm getting rid of the fat. And it's like, it's, it's not, it is not as simple as that. Like uh, it happens later. And then it was back, then again, back to my undulating thyroid thing in the maintenance phase. If you time your meals properly with weight training, you can gain muscle without a calorie surplus. And this sounds completely raw, but that's kind of massively important for like women our age, but obviously men as well, because this co this conversation involves men, too. And men, of course, have weight issues, not to the extent that women do. But this idea that you can gain muscle on a calorie that's on a calorie neutral, that that's very important for some people because that's another aspect of this that if you have more muscle i know we um sequester our mitochondria in our brains and our hearts i'm not talking about becoming an arnold schwarzenegger i'm talking about having an appropriate amount of muscle um say for to prevent sarcopenia thing not not to be a bodybuilder so yeah like exactly as, as you said that you know doing that in the morning with the hit and thinking oh yeah i'm burning fat it's like actually they've done the opposite because it's not going to happen till later yeah the one thing that i tell people with hormone and thyroid and weight loss is you need to have yeah. your body needs to make more melatonin i know that sounds really crazy but like you said the fat burning happens at night when we sleep the heart the all of that stuff happens when we're sleeping so really it's super important that your body is making of our melatonin at night while we sleep the other 95 percent is subcellularly by the mitochondria right so red light sunlight more, you know, getting out into sunlight is, is absolutely huge for melatonin production. Um, it's not about supplementing. Supplementing melatonin is yeah. not going to, and that was a question I got of, um, should I supplement melatonin while I'm getting my circadian rhythms back on in order and people want to supplement melatonin to get this more of a weight loss benefit? I'm not really a big fan of that. Um, what um, do you think? Well, that's a really tricky one because because the thing is, if somebody has got insomnia, um, 
But the thing is, it's like, how long do they, you know, you have to be really strict with yourself. And basically, like, it's like 0 point, below 0 0.5 milligrams. And it's and the supplement companies massively yeah. overdose. So you might think you're taking one and it could be 10. So that's my issue because you can't measure it. Um, and then also just to backtrack a bit, um, when you were talking about stubborn weight loss, it just reminded me about stuff seasonally, that it's much easier to lose weight at certain times of the year. Like people don't capitalize on doing weight loss um, uh, in the winter because that's when we would naturally lose weight. And that's, again, using the natural huge amount of darkness and cold. But then I've talked to quite a lot of people and they tend to have a wobbly around the end of fall where they can't lose any weight and they get really pissed off and tired until the clocks change. So that's another terrible time to try and lose weight. And I think it's quite a lot of people. I think even Dr. Cruz once said that he feels shitty just before the clocks change and all the fruit and everything's out and your body wants to stop for winter and it will not you know do what you want and you'll just get super frustrated and the hormones are just going to fight you so I, I think um uh that's another thing about trying to plan it strategically because i know uh, now there's obviously more light so therefore we've got more cortisol and less melatonin but what people forget is cortisol also burns fat yeah. but only uh when it's around in the right amount when there's too much of it it does the opposite and then I saw a question in there just earlier. Someone was, and you, you mentioned it as well, about conversions to T4 to T3 and the wrong amount of cortisol, too much or too low, blocks the conversion. Uh, in general, people are pretty savvy with um, supplements, but I think too much selenium uh, and not enough inhibits the conversion. And then it comes back to gut and liver issues because the conversion happens in the gut and the liver. And I think we meant to talk about this and then we're going to run out of time, um, that sometimes... Yes, I, sometimes, I yeah, sometimes people to go forget that even a supplement like CBD or lion's mane, the liver still has to deal with it. And I always tell people you shouldn't be taking medicinal mushrooms for more than six weeks at a time. You've got to have a break. So sometimes people are having a conversion issue just because they're mm -hmm. taking too many supplements. And um, uh, that was my issue when I was trying to get pregnant as I was taking so many supplements and when i came off the supplements and i started implementing some strategic yeah. local seasonal carbs a couple of days a week t3 went right back up to normal you know it wasn't it was just like i was overloading my yeah. body with deuterium from all the supplements um i literally couldn't handle yeah, it it was way too and, much. and that's the other thing that people like that um sometimes more is um and it's a good it's always good to take away your supplements and then you learn them what you actually because some everything i always say you know there's a time and a place and everything's sort of seasonal and i might need one thing at one time of the year and i don't need it um, and then things in my life change and i don't need things anymore but i think that's what i wanted to point out with the thyroid it's a really easy one to forget that the liver does the conversions and even something like cbd and medicinal mushrooms are terrible for crazy liver results but medicinal mushrooms are really good supplements and i know people love reishi and lion's mane and um shaga shaga's got lots of melanin in it just drop that in but but it's still yeah. the liver burden and also the other thing that burdens the liver are ketone salts and ketone esters they're right buggers uh, and they're great strategically used at certain times but um they can be a right monster for liver burdening as well and also i think someone asked in here if you take too much exogenous ketone same as melatonin it stops your body making so much of its own yeah yeah 
I think a lot of people are concerned about with that with melatonin. I have definitely seen that. It's hard for people to come off the melatonin supplements if they've been on them for years, but I've had yeah. I've had success with getting people off of them. It can cut down on your body's oh, yeah, natural definitely. ability to also, make it, it's right? Very auto, it's, it's an autophagy and an apoptotic hormone, so it can... I, I'm just... The, the reason I've got an issue with it, I think if somebody uses it for a couple of days for jet lag, that doesn't really matter because the consequence of jet lag is worse than a few little bits of melatonin. But if people yeah. are taking it in a dose that they've got no idea how much uh, and, and i don't know enough about the pharmacokinetics of synthetic melatonin because with our own melatonin it goes back into the cycle and your body knows exactly what it made versus what you took so, so i've got a feeling yeah i've got a feeling that because um, people forget and i think you can get um dr cruz says you can get problems with retina thinning if you just pound yourself with melatonin because all it's doing it's doing its job that's why it's so important for anti-cancer because it just uh, it's like progesterone it loves killing things uh, and we need a balance of growth and death in the body otherwise we age so you know but that's why you know i don't dislike melatonin i just don't think it's possible to know exactly the dose i'm taking whereas if someone took it for three days because of jet lag and it happened to be a hundred milligrams, well, they're not, nothing terrible is going to happen. It's just a pretty massive dose and they'll be fine. And I, and I, and I'm not a big fan of like giving it to children. I mean, you know, I just think it's better not to disturb their development, but it's each to their own. I, I haven't got a child with ADHD or autism that can't sleep because I do have friends and clients that do. And that's the only thing that helps them have any peace ever. So that's, again, it's all contextual. I think that's what the really important thing is. Yeah, there's contextual things with melatonin. I think if you want to take it, you should work with someone so they can help you with that. Um, oh, if someone oh, has oh, yeah, cancer, that's, that's a yeah. situation where I'm going to say I would work with, a, I work with a practitioner. You might want to do some sustained release. If someone's recovering from COVID, right, that's doing like a detox protocol or has COVID, again work with someone to get some dosing and do it temporarily don't do it long term but to talk about the you know we're going like all over the place but to go back to the children that can't sleep that have adhd my daughter for years um with autism when i began to implement this stuff with her circadian biology um morning light getting her off screens grounding sunlight all of that stuff she slept great and she still does sleep great. I mean, we have her room blacked out and she's got a Magnetico. That's one thing. She sleeps amazing. And people will tell you, you know, I went to doctors for years. They're like, oh, kids with autism just don't sleep. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. Cut the Wi-Fi off, put her outside, put her in natural sunlight, get her off the screens. And she does some red light therapy, sleeps great. Um, and that was not the case her whole life. So I think like we oversimplify things. I think some kids are going to have with ADHD and autism, they do have more issues sleeping, but if we can, it's hard because the devices can help to, you know, give them something to do, but if we can get them off the devices and put them outdoors more, that could and turn off your Wi-Fi at night. That could make a huge difference. And for everybody, if you want to make more melatonin, going back to our original conversation piece with hormones and thyroid uh you need to make a lot of melatonin then you need to consider doing some of these things before going into supplements and you know it's just going to 
saving oh, yeah, probably yeah, a lot of time and, and, and money, also i, I think, think um when it comes to children and screens because a few people were talking about wi-fi in the comments because we've got more melanin than they have and our blood brain barrier is uh, less leaky yeah. and thicker and our skulls are thicker so unfortunately and i do know what it's like like you know when you just want peace and quiet i just like my niece and nephew just right. think and also i think the whole crux of all this conversation is it depends what's the worst outcome so, so for somebody it might be a case of just like constant tantrums and nobody in the house ever gets any sleep ever if the child doesn't take any melatonin whereas maybe there's going to be long-term consequences maybe the child will grow out of it and stop taking it by themselves when they're 20 so I, I always think it's always and that because we didn't that's why i didn't go down the hormonal bioidentical routes because it's like coffee there's two camps there's the i'm really against this when they've got loads of science then i'm really pro this and they've got loads of science so it's one of these things there are loads of there's science about melatonin and cancer and covid and stuff like that so i'm not i'm not saying it's bad it's just all about it depends on the situation and it's all about what's going to be the worst outcome outcome and like i think we've talked before about not i don't ever try and vilify anything like even tech yeah it's got, it, it's not great but it's it's like massively life-changing we couldn't be here without it doing this so okay yeah exactly there's context with everything and i think with with the going back to the hormones the thyroid you know get the foundations down first and then if you're above a certain age then maybe consider doing a little replacement that's what i tell my ladies and then i've had some women that add a little bit of hormone in and see great results and then i've had other women that do hormones and it's terrible and i'm like all right well let's continue working more on the quantum side on the diet side and seeing improvements there and make letting your body make more melatonin so um yeah i wish there was like a cut and dry yeah. answer of like yes this is good and yes this is bad i try to just stay more towards like let's look at the end of it let's look at the situation before yeah, we and also, like, go down that road everything, you know? obviously dutch tests are really good for measuring every yes. possible metabolite uh, and like back to the snip some people yeah. just don't metabolize estrogen as well uh, and you know they need to eat things like broccoli and cabbage and um dim and uh, stuff like that so it, it's like you know it's, it's again some women can't or and men some men's life just falls apart when their testosterone goes down and, and it's they're gonna watch the point of living if you feel terrible if you've tried everything and that's the only thing that works then so be it uh, and for other people they they have a wonderful menopause and they can't imagine anything more horrible than having to use estrogel or progesterone so you know i think it's one of these things about um you know test things as well uh, that i always think i always look at symptoms and tests and, and uh try and balance the two but like you say you know i fiddled around with lots of hormones uh, not not right now because it's like i don't need it but more for other people because i don't like doing telling people to do something i've not rigorously tested myself and paid money to get blood tests because like you can think something's gonna turn out a certain way but you change one hormone and something else changes and i think some people really underestimate their level of insulin resistance because you can be really slim and if you if you're insulin yeah. resistant then progesterone and estrogen uh, hrt or even your own isn't going to work properly and it's a real sneaky bugger and um some people i swear are just more sensitive to blue light than others like they can eat what they want but give them some blue light and <laughs> out the blood sugar explodes and they never measure they measure their blood sugar after they've eaten and it's fine and it's only when they've bought a cgm 
And I'd like, what the hell have you done there? And it's like, oh, I wasn't doing anything. I was just watching telly. And it's like, <sighs> so I, I just think there's always going to be yeah. variations. Nobody's ever done any research. And we've got blue light receptors all over ourselves. And I just reckon some people's blue light yeah. receptors are more sensitive than others. And it's the blue light that's blowing their blood sugar through the roof. But they don't think to check. And that's the thing that's messing up their HRT. Yeah. Yeah. And same thing with Wi-Fi. I mean, some people are yeah. massively more sensitive to Wi-Fi. I mean, my daughter is one of those. And then that when the when you're sensitive to Wi-Fi, you're opening up the blood brain barrier, opening up that gut barrier. You're more susceptible to things like mold and uh, Lyme and, you know, all of these all these issues mm -hmm. that people are talking about parasites and all this. It's like, yeah, if you've got leaky brain and leaky gut because you're sensitive to non-native emf and you're blasting yourself with it constantly you're these things are going to be more of a problem for you so our whole thing is you know helping your body be more self-correcting and controlling the, the variables that mm. you can from the quantum lens rather than going down the the pathway of like detox protocols and um you know doing like tons and tons of testing which sometimes is necessary for people if they've done all the basics but that shouldn't be i think the first yeah, place that i people think just to tie it go, right back to what we know? were starting on like people that live in the city that don't have any money that's the really good thing about quantum is you know it's all <laughs> it's all out there for free i mean you have to get a bit creative sometimes but they don't you know nobody's gonna try and refute and say oh seeing the sunrise is gonna give you brain cancer it's bollocks you know it's we all know that it's um we're all so disconnected anything that's going to connect you more with nature is going to be a bonus and, and, and that's the good thing about quantum is that everybody can do it and then we are primed you know via pom c to make encephalins in the sun so even if you think you don't want to go outside or it's going to be a pain in the bum to get up in the morning your body's going to just make you do it and you're going to love it and crave going out after a while mm -hmm. if someone's all new to all of this and you get i get very upset if i can't yes. go outside now or see yeah i know i it's my family's used to it that i have to mommy has to go outside first thing and usually everyone will come outside with me at this point but it's been such a habit for the last few years that's like you know they know in my house don't turn on the overhead lights no nothing until we all are outside no screens no nothing we got to do it and it is addictive and it is something people are like oh i need an alarm clock and i'm going to need to do i'm like do this for a few days and almost everyone they start naturally waking up and that will shift as the year goes you know because it comes up a, a little bit of a different time every day yesterday was the solstice so it was like the earliest that it's going to come up for the whole year was yesterday and now it's going to start getting slightly later every yeah. single day until winter solstice right so it's uh it, it changes but your body once you sync up to these cycles will begin to but also there's all different benefits at different seasons and people seem to think that summer is the only good one where there's something interesting can be done and achieve. we haven't even touched on the dark therapy uh, and the cold like we did a bit of cold mm -hmm. but you know i think it's just this like you've got a course about embracing winter and i think that's a massive mistake that people make they mm -hmm. think i've done all this work in summer yeah. i've made this bikini body or got rid of my depression or uh, built a business i'm gonna just go to shit yeah. in the winter whereas actually the winter is just a whole different tactic a different game of chess and if you know how to play the quantum chess game you can really get get massive results in winter just different ones to summer 
Yeah, that's when I was. Oh, wow. I got pregnant in January. Um, and so for and, and I was told, oh, you're not going to get pregnant in the winter time because that's, you know, not optimal for fertility. But I was really embracing the cold, the dark, black and blue. I mean, like I said, that melatonin production, I was really, and that was what one thing Dr. Gasvini told me. Um, we had talked maybe at the end of September when I was just like super frustrated. And he's like, okay, we're getting towards October. Darkness is your friend. Cold is your friend. You have to make as much melatonin as possible. That's what's going to help you get pregnant, balance your hormones, yada, yada. And I had already done all the sun stuff. I'd already got my testosterone levels. Oh, oh yeah, because um, they melatonin were five. I got LH and FSH up the bum to um, do some like follicle work. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like. Yeah, you can't throw winter out. Summertime, I got my testosterone up. I got my DHEA up. I balanced all those sex hormones really nicely by yeah, yeah. doing a lot of like naked sunbathing and red light and all of that stuff. But then winter was rolling around and I started embracing cold, doing strategic cold plunging, um, making sure I was getting going to bed really early all of that stuff and then boom january i got pregnant and uh i am convinced that it was because i embraced both seasons you know it wasn't just the healing i did inside it continued as i moved into that new season because like you've mentioned several times on this live stream and this is what i talk about on my quantum nutrition course our hormones are different in the summer than they are in the winter our microbiome is mm. different in the summer than it is in the winter. So if we are living the same way, 365 days a year, totally disconnected, of course we're going to have hormone mm. and gut issues, right? Oh yeah, definitely. It's like even um, in different parts, different times of the day and night, where we're not the same person. You know, everything's like super different. Even if we had the, if we were able to measure, um, yes, just yes yeah. just read it like sometimes have a quick look at the, at the things it's because sometimes the question the question disappears all of a sudden so yeah i think it's uh, yeah i think it's probably yeah. time to wrap up and, and it's like i'm really sorry to the people like the yeah i think we got through half the questions and it's like if we didn't do yours it's not because yeah. we didn't want to it's just because otherwise we'll be here for ages and then uh um you know we've got work to do <laughs> Yes, we'll have to do another one soon, and I'm going to put this on the channel and on the podcast also, so people oh, yes. can so they can listen, listen to, my to the replay. And your air blower and hammer. <laughs> yeah. God. Another all quiet. Oh, there were literally five guys with leaf blowers right behind me. I'm sorry. I have to just come inside. So it's it's fine. Yeah, no, that was, was really a great conversation. Fun. And um, yeah, definitely. Uh, well, we should do it again. <laughs> Right. Okay. Definitely. Thank you so much Thanks for all the people Thank that you, like, have been with us right from the when we started that was meant to be. Yes, yeah, thank, thank you. Right. Bye. Bye everyone.